Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me, and it is a a busy week for coming out of a busy weekend for after Michigan uh, went up and beat Michigan State. Uh, you can check out all of our coverage of the game, of the fallout, of the pregame incident, which we are going to talk about in just a moment, uh, at, Mich- at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan. That 247sports.com, you know, just Google search it. It's it, it cannot be that hard to find. Uh, but uh, but you know, lots of lots of stuff to to like about the Michigan football team. They're a top five team, the first time in two years. Uh, just the second season in the last eleven seasons that they've been a top five team at any point. So that's that's also notable. You know, firmly in the college football playoff picture. I believe next week is the first week that there will be a playoff playoff rankings and. Since Michigan doesn't play this week, you have to assume that they'll be one of the teams in that f- top six-ish. Uh, but so that so things are things are looking back up uh, for the Wolverines. I know the national narrative had a lot of talk about winning on the road, beating ranked teams, beating rivals, back-to-back weeks, uh, curb stomps Wisconsin. I know they didn't blow Michigan State out of the water, but looked significantly better than the Spartans. In, in ways you measure things that are not just the score, and even the score. You know, you beat Michigan State by 14 on the road, you're, you're probably doing something right in any given year, let alone a year where Michigan State start returned 19 starters and started as a top-10 team. So, with that said, we'll have plenty to discuss on this podcast. Uh, you know, certainly, certainly listen in for all that, but we have to start like everyone has started everything this week. The Michigan-Michigan State pregame incident involving Michigan State doing their traditional pregame walk uh, where they where they link arms and, and span the field. And then Michigan, when, when Michigan State started the pregame walk, was on the field. Kind of a, one of those situations I've, I've told people this week. You know what is who's supposed to leave there? You know it's not. It was kind of a collision course. Like I, w- I wouldn't expect Michigan to to just walk away from the field and let them do the walk, and I wouldn't expect Michigan State to stop doing the walk. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't really want to go into the timing of who was supposed to be out there when. the The report from Michigan is that Michigan State was ten minutes late, and Michigan State says that they were not, and that Michigan came out early. Uh, Kind of one of those one of those things I think that is over discussed. I mean, I, I thought about jokingly releasing my own statement of my thoughts on the event last night when when all of a sudden we hear from Ward Manuel. I'm sure Bill Beekman's got something that he'll release. Michigan State had their defense. Michigan had their opinion. Harbaugh, uh, not I, I won't call it rare because he did the same thing with with Purdue and he did the same thing. You know, he's done the things when 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 provoked. Uh, and when he feels like taking a stand for his players, it's not like he's never doubled down or taken a shot at somebody, but a, kind of unusual, not something we've seen very much of in the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry. He even said he feels like the tone of the rivalry, which was very respectful between him and D'Antonio, feels like the tone has changed a little bit. So, Steve, uh, after all the everyone said their piece, what, what, are, what are some of your lasting thoughts of the pregame incident? I mean, yeah, we're not going to talk about this too much. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how, regardless of how it went or who was supposed to be who, where, when, that, like that, the crap that's not important, uh, to me, you know, Michigan State tries to make this a mental game, and it didn't work. And I think that was really the biggest takeaway for me out of this whole deal. Um, you know, I mean, this it, this – felt like this was a long time coming. I know for Devin Bush, I can't really get into it specifically. I know there were some other things uh, maybe said during last year's game. And, and uh, you know, among that, it, you wonder why he was so fired up. Uh, well, I know there was talking smack in the summer and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, again, like I said, there was a little more than that I, from what I know, you know, and I think there was a lot of extra incentive for him personally this week. And, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I mean, this this Saturday was sort of just a culmination of a lot of things. Like I said, I mean, just the, the everybody was different. 
you know, I've covered Donovan Peoples-Jones for six, seven years. Never even seen him show half the emotion he did in his post-game interview. I mean, it was a different guy uh, than I've ever seen. The Paul Bunyan ch- touchdown celebration. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> celebration's one thing, but his, like, yelling and his emotion after the game, I'm not kidding you. I mean, I've never seen anything even remotely close uh, to that from him. He, I remember I got him one-on-one at the Army game. They'd give us the commit each committed player committed team guy like they'd give you 15 minutes and you know I'd interviewed him a hundred times pretty much and he's always kind of the same and I thought you know I'll get him one-on-one maybe I'll finally get some stuff out of him no hmm. I mean, it was pretty much the same deal it was actually kind of lame and uh you know so uh, let's say this he's been made available to the reporters that cover Michigan uh once in like I want to say 40 availabilities we've had this year that had players and I think he's, most reporters are okay with that right he's you know he's just I mean he's one of the he's definitely one of the smarter oh absolutely no, that, that wasn't a dig at him it's just like he's not a quote guy you know? right no not yeah. at all that's what I, yeah that's what I'm saying is like I think he just is not into the whole that whole deal but for him to um you know for him to come out the way he did after the game like I said to me actually honestly that more than anything spoke to me as far as like this was something that Michigan really had had circled and, and on their mind for a really long time. I mean, again, just a complete 180 on his end. You know, the other guys are, in t- you know, we know Harbaugh will get intense, uh, guys like Bush, intense, um, but for a kind of a quieter, more, uh, you know, less vocal guy like like Donovan to, to come out with as much fire as he did after the game to me said that this was something that. You know, I think Michigan was kind of a lot of their players were just kind of fed up, you know. And so um, so to me, I think that, you know, I think that could could be, you know, no guarantees. Uh, could this could be a real big turning point for them this season, maybe even going forward after that, uh, just to. You know, you said it was a they didn't curb stomp or whatever like they did to Wisconsin. I mean, they could have won this game like 42. They could have. I'm you saying, know, yeah, they beat them soundly. No, I agree. But. I know what you mean. Um, kind of a deal, though, where it's like even, you know, they fumble in the third quarter. Uh, you, you never kind of really got the sense that, that the MSU, like, voodoo was really going to take place. You know, hmm. Michigan kind of felt kind of felt like Michigan was in in control. Um, was their longest drive was 24 yards. I mean, it's just, yeah, they had the forty-four yard one at the end, but well, heavily yeah. driven. You know what I mean. But um, when they, I will say, when they scored that touchdown, I know people probably. I, thought, Here we I, go I again. felt the voodoo. I was like, okay, this is you know, and then the the student sections getting super into it, and Michigan's like, you know, it's like they fumbled again, and it was kind of like you could t- you could almost see like every single play, Michigan, in from my view, looked scared to make mistakes, and that's that's how teams fall apart on the road in my opinion you know it's like if you're if you're scared to make mistakes if everything you're doing you're like okay can't fumble here you know don't want to throw the pick and uh, but I will you know the reason why Michigan won is that when they needed to they had people that made plays and I think that was you know people can talk about you know choking or in the big games or not having the right edge or whatever but when it comes down to it do players make winning plays when when they can? You know, Grant Perry right. scooping out the interception, Donovan Peoples Jones shedding the tackle, Shea Patterson making the right throw, the right, or you know John Runyon Jr. who had probably his best game as a Michigan player, uh, making the right block at the right time. You know, it, it, on defense, you know, again Michigan State's offense wasn't going anywhere, but right. it only takes one or two missed assignments, and they do. You know, it's not like they they're this talentless, you know nobody team you know one one break or one you know completion or whatever and and that game tips the other way so yep. i i think i thought it i i'm with you i think it i think it could be a big turning point game it felt like a breakthrough well i'll tell you what the other thing too second week in a row offensive line mm-hmm. and down the stretch down the stretch you know out physical and dominated the line of scrimmage. And this was a better front seven than what they saw against Wisconsin, too. And, and you know, that's, to me, um, you know, this game was a lot of what we've been kind of saying was a possibility. You know, they, they 
they now and, and we can see it. They they have an offense that can sustain drives now in the second half, and even if they don't put it in the end zone, they can win field position, give that give that elite defense a longer field to work with, and give them themselves multiple opportunities to win the football game. I mean. You know, the defense was as much of it was really what gave them all those opportunities in the first half. And, you know, but they did sustain a little bit. I know they weren't able to punch it in, but even offensively, compared to years past, they were able to sustain it a little bit more. And they were able to get those first downs on the ground uh, that maybe they couldn't get against Iowa in 2016 or against Ohio State you know, in the same situation where, you know, a couple first downs on the ground could have ended the game and they couldn't do it this year. Now it looks like that they have the ability and the type of team uh, to do that now. Well, think about it like this in their four close or the four games against that weren't blowouts. I'm I'm counting Wisconsin as a non blowout because of what it was like at halftime, Notre Dame, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Michigan state against those four teams. Who was, who was better in the second half of the football game? And I think yeah. you could argue Michigan every single time. Someone uh, apparently kept receipts on us saying Herbert was overblown. You know, they had a question about do we still think Herbert's over? We never thought the hiring and his impact was overblown. Was overblown. We thought that maybe he was being over discussed as a potential like program altering thing. But the fact of the matter is, this team and I think the offensive line is a big part to do with this because it's a lot easier to be a better second half team when you have an offensive line that that's doing the right thing every time. But we've seen them wear teams down. Because, like, Wisconsin, that was 13-7 at halftime. And everyone was talking about, like, oh, they missed this opportunity, that opportunity. And then they just blew the pants off of them. And, you know, I think the Michigan State drive, the third touchdown drive, that took six minutes, 41 seconds off the clock, 84 yards, and just kind of this, you know, it. it they made a Mich- very good Michigan State front seven look like a team that Michigan knew it was going to mow past. Right. And I think that's, I do think you could argue, I mean, there's got to be some Herbert and then what they're doing in the weight room must have some impact there. Sure doesn't you know, hurt. I think even, <laughs> right. And, uh, but I think going back to earlier in the year, we talked about Herbert. I, I think it was more of like we were saying it's too early to really know like what, where the impact is being made, you know, and, and now I think it's, it's pretty evident between Ed Warner, who Michigan should do whatever they can to lock up right now and uh, a lot of teams would love to have that year-to-year transformation on the offensive line you know and and, and (laughs) And pay top dollar (laughs) yep should have the pockets to make that happen you know with really a deeper just out of pure talent they have more pure talent coming up than what they have across the line right now Uh, at least that tackle you know and that's saying with Runyon and Bushel Beatty have both come I mean I don't even know if saying coming a long ways is 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 accurate. I mean, they've come miles, even since Notre Dame, mm-hmm. uh, and how far those got those two specifically. Have remember, remember the podcast questions we got after the Notre Dame week. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, know? <laughs> and, and and so you know, you have guys like like Mayfield and my guy Andrew Stuber. Uh, you know, coming up, guys are four star, Ryan big Hayes. time talent. Yeah, Ryan Hayes. Uh, you know, guys that are coming up with a lot of talent, uh, Filiaga in the interior. You know, I think he's going to have even some just better players to work with going forward. Uh, you kind of have to feel, you know, really good right now about everything. You know, you got Patterson in at quarterback who's making the big plays. I think he looks another guy. You look at, go back to his Ole Miss situation, not, you know, seems to have a little bit more fire in his belly, at least openly or outwardly. Uh, than he did when he played at Ole Miss, you know, and, and, and that fit seems to have worked out perfectly. You know, and you got studs behind him on the depth chart, you know, younger players, some really, you know, talented ones. Um, you know, perception can change pretty quickly, but but things are really, really starting to come together, not just in the present, but I think looking towards the future too. Well, I think here's here's the question. By the way, real quick on Herbert. Yeah, it was – I think when I said that it was overblown, I meant it more as Michigan with fans were treating it like it was this like like earth-shattering hire worth three wins because I had just spent a whole month being at these availabilities and hearing every single player, Tyree Kinnell, Karan Higdon, Chris Evans, 
you know, Tariq Black <laughs> when he was available. It's like not every player is going to have a life-changing transition because of a strength coach. So that's what I meant by, I mean, his impact, I think, was good. And we said at the time when he was hired, you know, we, you know, you talked to, was it Frank Ragnow? You know, it's like he's he's a he's a guy that can that can turn good into great and and kind of get you ready for that fourth quarter that those November games, which we'll talk about in a moment. So, yeah, but back to your point, I uh, an interesting question. I th- I kind of wrote a column about this. It's like you know there were a lot of question marks entering the season, a lot of question marks throughout the season. But I've seen in my estimation, every position group has gotten better since week one every position group is better than they were four weeks ago it's like a it's it's one of those things that not every every team wants not every team gets it they not every team gets better and kind of collectively gets better shores up its weaknesses I mean what's what what position group is the weakest on on Michigan's roster right now I mean what would you say would you say offensive line we just spent five minutes talking about the offensive line and how good they are would you say safeties? We talked about last week. Josh Metellus is starting to look like a all Big Ten caliber safety. You know, would you say? I mean, hard, hard to, that's hard. I, well, I mean, if we're getting technical, I mean, I guess you'd probably have to almost have to argue field goal kicker, wouldn't you? Yeah, and he's he's third. He's tied for first in the Big Ten in field goals, and he's hitting at a seventy five percent rate, which is like not great, but you know, it's it's. I no, I I see what you mean. You probably would say field goal, but it's like every position. And and we're we're eight games into the season, two thirds of the way. They've played three ranked teams. They've played, I believe, uh, is coming off the top of my head, five or six bowl caliber teams. And you don't have any red flags. And I don't, I don't, I don't. We didn't. I wish we'd kind of done this podcast and this level of analysis in 2016 because I I wonder how it compares. You know, you felt good about everything, but I don't know if Michigan had had this kind of completeness. I don't know if you felt this good about every position group no, this time two years ago. Not off, not the offensive line. So even though they were 9-0, and you, you were? I mean, it, it, I don't know. They're running the ball much more effectively than they were in 2016. Well, they're doing like. it against good teams. Right, and, you know? and that's kind of the difference is, you know, I think we all kind of knew – Again, we know Michigan State almost always plays their best game against Michigan every year, but we also knew that they were going to kind of stink in 2016. And it was a win that they had to have. Uh, would have been a hugely disappointing, you know, loss back then. But again, I mean, that's where November can still kind of dictate some things, right? So, because um, that's where everything unraveled, and, and that's where up front. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you go, you look back at Iowa, especially where they could have just one more first down on the ground, they would have been able to ice the game, and we're probably talking about Michigan, yeah, <laughs> looking for their second playoff appearance in three years under Harbaugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, I but I, I do I think there's a lot more comfortability here. I mean, because there's so much more balance on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I think defensively they're. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I might still take 16's defense over 18's defense, at least as, as things stand now. Um, you know, I think Jabril at that yep. Viper spot was just such a great player and such a perfect fit for them at that spot. There so, were way more guys who were obvious pros. Right. I, I felt like on yep. that team, and maybe that's just because this this unit's more sophomores and juniors than it is seniors and fifth year seniors but a uh, few more few more guys that were ob- like you know Chase Winovich very obviously a pro caliber player and and Devin Bush and I'd I'd throw David Long I I don't know if he's going to that doesn't mean this not to say he's going to leave I don't know what his plan is or or Klee Hudson you know there's there's a few but it felt like every position Michigan had a future pro at it in in 2016 but you know what also happened in 2016 that's different now is I think the game at the end of the season, you know, and, and this is how we transition to the next question because I'm going to do, depending on when you listen to the podcast, the Big Ten Power Rankings will either be out or will be out momentarily. Uh, I'm going to do my Big Ten Power Rankings, and this is the first time that I've done them, 
and Michigan's number one. And I can think back to other times where I thought about putting them number one or maybe thought about putting them number two. This is I feel really confident that they're the number one team in the Big Ten because Ohio State, you know, talk about 2016. I mean, they were they were looking exceptional in every in every way. And and uh, right now, I mean, you know, if they're going to lose by 29 to Purdue, I, I feel like everything's wide open. So, Steve, you and I were talking before the show. <laughs> Michigan, you're you're in agreement. Michigan's probably number one team in the Big Ten, but we did get a couple questions about Ohio State. What did you make of that game? Uh, I had a I had a Wi-Fi outage, so I wasn't able to watch. I was only able to follow. I mean, what what stood out about that game, and and I, how much of it could carry over? Because we saw it happen last year. They lost by 31 to Iowa, and then they looked pretty good the rest of the way. I, what what did you make of the loss? Is it is is it worthy of the panic that it seems like Ohio State fans have brought? I mean, you know, usually you're, you're watching a game like that, you know, a, an elite top five team on the road playing in like a night environment. Other team comes out, looks really good, and your thought the whole time is, well, it's you know the other they're gonna elite team is gonna come back and win this game win this game and, and probably win it comfortably. I mean, I want to say about halfway through the third quarter, you know, cause I watched most of the game. I didn't plan to originally, but I, I it was on and I figured I'd watch it. I think once uh, it looks like a game that could be an upset too, I think it's harder to a, put it away a little, a little bit. Right. And, um, but about halfway through the third quarter, you know, I kind of started to feel like, you know, I don't, I don't know if Ohio state is going to do this. I mean, they just looked out of sorts really in every facet. Special teams, you know, they had the roughing the punter penalty that really hurt them badly. Um, obviously, on offense, they couldn't run the ball a lick. I mean, it was what was interesting to me is, you know, the whole broadcast, uh, Fowler and Herb Street talked, you know, were talking about Brome going into the game saying, you know, if we're going to beat Ohio State, we're going to have to outscore them. You know, and it's like, so I think Purdue even won the game in a way that they didn't even expect to win it. Like, you know what I mean? I don't Yeah. <laughs> and just watching the game, uh, it, it was puzzling to me. Uh, it, that's definitely the worst Ohio State performance I've ever seen. Um, Worse than last year's? I think so. Okay. I mean, because, I mean, they just looked, I, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, their offensive line is very, you know, it, I, and I also, I want to say, like, Kinnick has just always had that funky deal, and Michigan fans know that. You know, yeah, the, pink I locker room always, sold out. Yeah, a lot of night I games. Was, yeah, I was always good for like at least a fighting chance against an elite team at home. You know, and that's almost you can always, almost always bank on it. Um, in this game, you know, I wouldn't have thought that Purdue would be a good matchup for Ohio State. You know, because Ohio State's got you know, elite athletes on defense, you know, and I assume it'd be a deal where Purdue would get theirs, but that there was no way that Purdue's offense would be able to slow Ohio state down. And uh, it was the total opposite, you know, and, and I expect Ohio state will rebound. I think, again, I think it comes down to talent. I think they're too talented to not rebound, but I mean, this does feel a lot different than uh, what 2016 did. I mean, they, they, they could not run the football and they don't have that, you know, Haskins is a better pure quarterback than Barrett ever was for Ohio State, but he doesn't have the legs. So they don't have that aspect, you know, so they they have to rely on Dobbins and Weber to run the ball effectively to open things up for them. And I mean, they didn't even I want to say I think I think Weber had like 40 yards and Dobbins only had like 22 yards or 23 hmm. yards rushing. OK, and, yeah. And so, yeah. And so, um and you know, I don't know. It's all, and by the way, as far as the power rankings go, I don't think it's a problem. There's no doubt that Michigan's the best team in the Big Ten right now. I mean, they're the only, only undefeated losses. team. They've beaten two of the top preseason top four teams. Yeah, they've their only loss is to one of the only undefeated teams left in the country on the road. You know, in a game which we would, I think, we would agree that they probably outplayed Notre Dame for three quarters. The problem was that they played really badly in the first quarter and put themselves out of it, you know? So, um, so 
So I don't, I don't think there's any doubt, especially after watching both teams on just watching them on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you could pick Ohio State to, to beat Michigan right now. Again, the only way you'd do it is if you just think that Ohio State just has Michigan's number or, or just kind of has that mental edge as far as actually watch. And here's the other thing, too. I mean, I kind of feel like Ohio State's been playing with fire for the last. They didn't. They were not impressed. So that's Minnesota. that's why I don't. Because because last year when they lost to Iowa, I was kind of like, ah, whatever. Just kind of an aberration. I don't see it the same way this year. Because as you said, I mean, they their linebackers have not looked very good. Their secondary has not looked elite. You know, their defense as at large. I mean, you know, how long did they toy around with Minnesota a week ago? Minnesota was in the game for a. A long, I mean, really, you know, two of those, I remember because I watched a little bit of that game, uh, two of the touchdowns Ohio State scored in that game came after some very questionable, one was after a very questionable third down spot that went Ohio State's way, and the other was after a very questionable penalty. Again, there was no way Minnesota was ever going to win that game. But, yeah, I mean, it was a deal where, you know, Ohio State did not look crisp, uh, by any stretch in that game. And like, and, like, I'm not sitting here and saying, like, a 16-point win over Minnesota is a bad win, but, like, as you said, the way they looked, because, like, Nebraska just blew Minnesota into the ground. And, right. you know, Ohio State, I think, the pretty much every year under Urban Meyer, runs, you know, puts up a 42 spot on Minnesota and puts the thing away early and just coasts. This team couldn't do that, and, and I can think of one team, Michigan last year, you know, they were better than a lot of teams, and they probably were a good team, but that inability to be crisp enough and mi- avoid the mental mistakes to put Indiana away, put Air Force, Cincinnati away, you know, that, that ended up leading to some undisciplined efforts against good teams. Right, and now you're getting the reports about, you know, friction and all that kind of stuff. And I, I mean, but the thing is, is like, the way they played on Saturday, it, it almost you almost want to believe it a little bit that there are some bigger issues there because, again, I mean, just you know anybody who's listening who watched that game, you know would would be, would know you know that just just didn't look like the same team that you usually see with them. I mean, and like I said, it's twenty one six early in the third. You know that that whole most of the t- up until about midway through that quarter, I fully expected Ohio State to come, you know, kind of take control, mm-hmm. come back win the game and like I said you get about halfway through maybe towards the end of like getting towards the end of the third quarter and it, I you know I started to think that like I didn't see them coming back um no answer for Rondale Moore which not many teams have had one yet. right right but Knox I mean that's the thing is they were able to kind of effectively run the ball up the middle which is weird because I'm just seeing here on Twitter the team the Big Ten Big Ten defense of the week from week eight and you got Draymond Jones and Devon Hamilton, both of Ohio State's interior guys were the big on the Big Ten defense of the week. And I want to say Purdue rushed for a pretty darn good amount of yardage. Uh, so hmm. whatever that's worth, you know. But um, just didn't look like the same Ohio State team I've seen. And I do agree. I kind of even agree with those who said that Meyer just kind of looked like in a daze on the sidelines, like almost like he didn't – no, what was going on? I was just really bizarre. I, you'd have to, like I said, anybody who is listening objectively, anybody who objectively can watch an Ohio State game, uh, who watched it, I, I would assume would maybe feel the same way I did. I, I just thought it was a really weird, uh, bizarre type deal in the second half, for sure. Well, really throughout the game. I mean, they, they squandered so many red zone opportunities. So, Steve, who... I know this isn't necessarily right on topic, but who who do you think is going to win the Big Ten West? Because I'm looking at Purdue. I, I don't think Purdue's I, the best team. I think Wisconsin is is better. They're more experienced. I think Iowa's probably a better team as well. You might be able to throw Northwestern in there, but I am looking at Purdue and thinking I they they might. I mean, if they can do that to Ohio State, like who's to say they can't have another you know charged atmosphere? And and beat somebody else. I I don't know, man. I is that possible? Like, it's well, it's very. I think it's possible. But it's incredible how we could go from Purdue being zero and three to maybe winning the Big Ten West so quickly right. too. <laughs> well, you know, I was I was high on Purdue going into this year. For you remember our pregame 
you know, I said, I thought I really liked Purdue this year and then I, I, I regretted it for a while, but now I'm starting to obviously feel good about it again. The thing with them is though, at Wisconsin, the, those games are, they have games on the road now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they go they to Wisconsin and Iowa. At, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. They actually get both of them at home. So maybe ah, there is, something, so I was maybe right. there is something there. So they're <laughs> at Michigan state. Unless I'm completely misreading this. I think they're at Michigan state. Yep. And then they get Iowa and Wisconsin at home. So yeah, I mean, the, the, it's right there for them. I honestly still kind of want to lean towards Iowa. You know, if they beat Penn state, well, they don't have to play. Yeah. It's just Penn state. Yeah, yeah. That's it. They don't get Michigan state, Ohio state or Michigan, you know, and like the rest are, if they get past Penn, if they can, if they win the next two weeks, they have Northwestern, Illinois, Nebraska to finish. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. Well, Northwestern, I will say, Northwestern has also won three straight. Yeah, but they they just they beat Rutgers by a field goal. I mean, that's about as bad a win a bad as a win as a team could possibly have right now. I feel like. Yeah, but they host Wisconsin. I think they might host Iowa, and they have a win over Purdue. Their most impressive win was probably over Michigan State, or I guess it could be it could have been Purdue in the season opener. Really, if you look at it. Um, but they won their crossover, you know, against Michigan State. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like they still play Notre Dame too. Not that that'll play a lot. No, into, no. Yeah, uh, that's the Big Ten aspect of things. Would be interesting in Chicago. I don't know. <laughs> Notre Dame, man. I mean, they should they should be able to. Yeah, they got what do they got? Navy. Florida State I'm, is down. Honestly, like if they, yeah, they. I mean, I think they could, but it's like they play enough teams that are like kind of intriguing. Sure. You know, do you want to play? You know, Navy, even Florida State. You know, looked pretty good this weekend. USC is probably good for, you know, a good game if if they're up for it. And Northwestern, it's like they play a lot of like decent, they, they got, sneaky they teams. Got they got lucky, but it's not. That's not on them. That's that's just the way it happened. I mean, again, like I've said before, normally that schedule would be awful. Florida State, USC, Stanford, yeah, Michigan, uh, even Va Tech. You know, Virginia Tech's had some top fifteen teams. Pitt, Northwestern won ten games last year. They don't look the same. You know what I mean? Like all those teams that are normally like powerhouses are winning a lot of games. Well, Michigan good, so. looks pretty good, but yeah. <laughs> no, I know Michigan's the one. That's they're going to ride that. They could maybe ride that season opening game in which we just got done saying that Michigan probably outplayed them, and is probably quarters. a lot better now. I would. I mean, I. I'm sorry, but I would have a hard time not taking Michigan if those two teams played again. I just. I just. Like I said, three quarters of the game, I thought Michigan was the better team. They just couldn't punch the ball in the end zone. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, I take I would take <laughs> Iowa. I guess I'd probably take Iowa to be honest with you. I just think the schedule sets up nicely for Iowa finishing out. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I guess it could still be Wisconsin. You could talk that. me into all four teams. You know, if if you cared enough, like I'd just be like, yeah, that probably sounds right. I'll probably take Wisconsin. Because I just think when it comes down to it, they they are Penn the better State's team. Inside the West, they are. Yeah, because they play Iowa. They still have Iowa and Wisconsin mm-hmm. at home. Know, so if Penn, yeah. Yep, if, if Penn State loses either one of those games, you know, or wins either one of those games, sorry, then that the other, you know, if they split those games, the team that they lost to is probably going to win the West. I would think. So. Well, and that's where I think it hurts Iowa because, you know, if if you're Penn State, if you're a Penn State fan. You're really charged up for this Iowa game because you can still theoretically win the Big Ten if things if chips fall in your way and say you beat Michigan. You know you can still contend for a New Year's Six bowl. You can still win double digit games. But if they lose to Iowa and then they lose to Michigan, or honestly just lose to Michigan, is the crowd is the energy from the team going to be that much against against Wisconsin? You know that's probably advantage Badgers in that case. Yeah, I'm picking. I'm sticking with Wisconsin just because I think. I think if they get some of these injured players back, I think that they they'll be able to, and they have the tiebreaker over Iowa. Um, I think I think they'll be able to to salvage it. So we'll see, we'll see. But but I th- we're both in agreement. Until proven otherwise, Michigan's the best team in the Big Ten, and and certainly certainly 
in my they've earned it though. Yeah. Oh, they have. They have. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying this with like you know hesitation. I think. I think these last two weeks were something of a breakthrough. I don't know how badly Michigan needed a breakthrough. I'm not. In, we're not invited to practice or inside the locker room, but it just. It seemed like this. It was a, a swag development couple of games, 100%. you know, and, yep. and and I think they're just finding their character, finding their identity, all those cliches, you know. And I felt like when Shea Patterson found Donovan Peoples Jones for the 79 yard touchdown, that that you know, there's a lot of pressure because like it was a kind of a sticky game, slippery game. You know, no one was quite sure what's going to happen. Everyone's thinking, uh oh, here we go again. You know, we've seen this movie before. Uh, you know. Yada yada yada, D'Antonio, you know, finding another way to to hang around, and and then all of a sudden that touchdown happened. It, you could just, you could almost sense from the team, and I'd be curious, you know, for fans to go back and watch that play, and watch the sideline, and and just, it just felt like a lot got lifted off their shoulders, and now they're just a good team playing really physical football on both sides that has all of its goals in front of it. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say like. Oh yeah, you can lose one and still make the playoff. It's another thing to actually take that loss and get better for eight consecutive weeks and put yourself back into that situation. I, I, you know, I'd be a better question for players who have done or not done it before. But I mean, that's that's a sign of a of a team that really likes to to play winning football together. That they were able to take that loss in kind of a pretty ugly loss and on a national stage. You know, lots of. Lots of naysayers and 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 actually, you know, still make something of the season. A lot of teams lose and it it turns into a second loss. So, right. Uh, so I think I think they deserve a lot of credit and I think they are the best team in the Big Ten right now. You know, and we'll see. I think the next month, Michigan and Ohio State are both both off this week. But I think, you know, how these teams respond from this bye week and and go after things that'll that'll tell us a lot. And I think we'll have a better sense. Uh, before the two teams play, you know, kind of what it's going to look like. Because, you know, if Ohio State responds and they, they blow out Michigan State, they blow out Maryland, they blow out Nebraska, it's like, okay, well, then maybe it was an aberration. But right. as as we discussed, haven't quite seen what what's Ohio State's best win this year. You know? That's what I say. Like, yeah. is, it, is it TCU? Who and now has TCU? four losses or three yeah, losses? Have, but, but I think you would probably argue, I mean, what do we got here? Rutgers, Oregon State, Tulane. I mean, well, Penn, it's got to be Penn State. Oh, you're and right. Then, dumb point, dumb point. <laughs> no, but still, though, I mean, well, yeah, but but Zach, I mean, that's the thing is, like, I, I really think Penn State's looked, you know, they Indiana hung around with Penn State. They did. Yeah, both five, okay, both sorry, teams five struggled. <laughs> yeah, they lose. They lost to, you know, Penn State really, in my opinion, had one pretty impressive game. Uh, you know, outside of again against the game against Ohio State was just a good a good game, um, but otherwise it was Pitt who stinks. Mm-hmm. You know, even Illinois. So Illinois was sixty three to twenty four, but I want to say that game was either tied going into the fourth or like really close. So whatever sixty three minus it was twenty eight twenty four heading into the fourth quarter. Okay, there you go then. I mean, <laughs> so, so that's you know, and Illinois Illinois is no good. Um, and they let Indiana completely hang around on Saturday. And again, again Indiana, another lower tier team in the conference. Um, but I mean, Penn State's got now they have Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin back to back. So this is going to be really interesting. Appalachian State cracked into the top 25. Which is a joke because they should have been in the top 25 in 07 when they beat Michigan. They had like eight pros on that team. But <laughs> anyway, I, I digress. So. So let's um, let's go back to Michigan talk because there were there, there is some news that's not related to the pregame incident. Uh, first one: James Hudson transferring the offensive tackle, uh, former defensive lineman switched. And I don't know what your surprise level was, Steve, but this was a guy I remember writing stories from, like you know, reading Ed Warner's quotes about him, and it's talking about him as a future NFL player. You know, he's got all the makings of an NFL prospect, an All Big Ten caliber lineman. Uh, Michigan obviously has a uh, does not have very many tackles that they feel that way about. You know, I mean, they 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 like everyone they have, but it's they don't have that many tackles due to some players, you know, turning more into interior players or you know recruiting situations happening or or uh, you know untimely departures, you know, things like that. They don't have a lot of tackles, and I think pretty much everyone until until 
last night had penciled in Hudson as the starting tackle, uh, probably in the right side for next year. Uh, you know, I don't know. It was it was kind of surprising to me. Did it, did it catch you off guard? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't think. You know, I was like Hudson was even mentioned by Harbaugh specifically in the presser on Monday. I mean, having I a dislocated thought, thumb is the reason that he wasn't the next right, guy. Right, that's up. why Stuber, and that's why Stuber played. Which, by the way, Stuber looked looked pretty good actually when he was in there. If you mm-hmm. go back and watch, I mean, he was moving people in the run game. But um, well, maybe that that's part of why too. I, I, I suppose it's a possibility. I suppose uh, I just know it was really. I mean, it was neck and neck with Bushel Beatty throughout fall camp. Yeah, you know, Runyon, had yeah. Left tackle, Runyon had left tackle locked up pretty early on, uh, despite that one moron insisting that Jalen <laughs> Mayfield was going to start. Yeah. Which, looking back now, is even is funnier than it's ever been. But uh, again, Jalen, I think is going to end up being a great player for Michigan. I agree. <laughs> I feel bad that he's going to be grouped like because because that guy tweeted at every single reporter. And so, like, Jalen Mayfield's always going to be associated with that. I feel so bad for him. So, <laughs> so right. So he, uh, you know, so that Runyon had left tackle locked up pretty quickly in, in fall camp. And then, uh, but the Bushel Beatty Hudson stuff really went down to the wire. Um, yeah. I think heading into the last week, I don't think they knew who was going to start against Notre Dame. And uh, they were definitely splitting snaps there. So, I mean, that's how close he was to winning that job to begin with. Well, and even in the summer, I mean, there was talk about, you know, Hudson kind of being the, the man in favor there. So I, right. if I'm if I'm understanding it correctly, you know, from what we heard from Harbaugh and Warner, is that consistency was kind of the point of tension. You know, Hudson could do things really, really well at times. And I think Harbaugh went in depth on this twice at Big Ten Media Days, and then when they played SMU. Uh, you know, he can do things really, really well at times, but it, it didn't happen every time. And offensive line is one of those things where it's like, if you mess up one out of ten times, you are not regarded very highly as an offensive lineman. You know, if you blow your assignment 10% of the time, it's it's a tough position in that sense that consistency is name of the game. I also wonder, again, you know, this is not coming from somewhere. I, I, you know, John Runyon Jr., I saw he was the third highest graded player for Michigan against Michigan State. And, you know, if you had told me like a month ago or two months ago, let's say, or a month and a half ago, after the Notre Dame game, you know, I, in my head, I was thinking, oh, maybe Runyon won't be asked to come back for his fifth year. And now, I mean, I, I can't even imagine Michigan not asking and hoping that he comes back for a fifth year. So it's right. it's one of those things maybe that changes. Uh, you know, we've seen what I'll call depth chart transfers. I don't know. Again, this is where being a part of practice might help us understand, but um I don't you know, know if I don't I don't find that to be I mean I just I don't know. Knee-jerk decision, I guess. I'll just say it. I just, I don't know. I mean, this is a guy who was on the cusp of winning the job this year to begin with. Yeah. Hard to imagine that he wouldn't have been at least, at the very least, in the same position next year, if not win the job outright. I mean, the coaches raved about him. Yeah, this was off-season. this was not a firm handshake kind of thing. This was uh, they, they really close. would love to have him on the team. So, so. This, I, I have to assume Michigan very disappointed about this one i would just be yeah. shocked if they weren't so well um, you know what i've said you know. i said this about singleton and some of the other ones that people didn't like as much as well i mean you never know what you know i know it's against ncaa rules but like is there a team in the big 10 that maybe needs a tackle really badly that's saying oh you can you'll be the automatic starter here and when michigan's telling him you're gonna battle right. i you never know what's what's happening so well, I don't know. They, I don't think they can contact guys until after they've. They already... can't, but I'm saying, like, could right. could there I... be something under the table? Sure. You know, I... so no, I don't. No, yeah, I I understand. Because <laughs> I remember um... when um, Singleton Singleton announced his transfer. I think the first three comments were "Come to Nebraska." <laughs> it was like, <laughs> oh, I mean, Nebraska's got some. They're uh, they're what Tennessee used to be on Twitter. Uh, Go big red, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, they're very uh, tweety at recruity uh, kind of people. You yeah. Know, so, but like, you never uh, know. I mean, there could be teams or or people that 
in his circle that maybe say like, oh, you know, let's do this and this instead. I don't know. I don't know his situation, but uh, certainly, certainly was a surprising one. Certainly, probably. I mean, you can you can say that's a that's a loss, a big loss for Michigan. I know he wasn't starting, but like, kind of. Again, I don't think I don't think Warner was making it up when he said he felt like James Hudson was a you know future NFL prospect and All Big Ten caliber lineman. So, which I don't I. I would assume they still believe that. You yeah. Know, what, I guess what I'm interested to see, I suspect he'll still play offensive line wherever he goes, but it'd be interesting to see if he switched back to defense. That may answer hmm. some questions. Okay. It may answer a question. Again, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but you never know. I don't know. Yeah. You know? Well, some people yeah. would rather are just mentally or from a mentality standpoint more interested in some positions than others. Uh, Steve, I know – I know this is a question that when you got it, you didn't didn't love it. I mean, is there any recruiting impact? Does this mean that they're looking for another tackle? We're not we're not discussing scholarship situations because, as we've said before, uh, things change so much, and it has never it has never been a problem where Michigan was scrambling. You know, let it let it play out. No need to discuss and dissect. And also, like I mean, what do we gain from projecting which players are? leaving or whatever so um but any any direct recruiting change you know with with Hudson's departure does that mean that they're looking for an additional tackle or do they have enough linemen in the 2019 class I, I don't know any any change with this I guess I guess I'd be surprised here's the deal is like the guys that unless they maybe take a flyer on like a high ceiling you know kind of a lower ranked high ceiling kind of guy you know, but as far as like, is it a, you know, could it be Keegan and Ben Hart? Like, I just, you know, what if you're those guys? Like, you know, if you're Ben Hart, would you rather, and say, just say theoretically Keegan was to commit, like, if you're Ben Hart, I'm like thinking I'd probably rather go play at Nebraska or somewhere else where I don't have, I'm not in a class that literally has four other guys that could play tackle <laughs> yeah, in it. I guess you that's know, true. Have, you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is, like, where these people think, I think some of these people think that these kids are just like, this is like NCAA football 2014 or something where you can just, you know, like these guys are, you know, they're guys who are going to go somewhere and then they're willing to compete. But I think there's a limit to that where it's like. It's not cowardly to go elsewhere. I mean, it's like Nebraska absolutely. can get you to the NFL. You know, you yeah, can play absolutely. Big Ten. You can play in front of 100,000. Like, it's not like it's this like, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, some small, you know, clearly inferior choice. Like, it, they have all these good options. So, yeah, <laughs> would you rather compete with someone for four years or would you rather right. maybe compete with one person for four years or one person for two years? So, I mean, you got Trent. You know, you got Trent Jones is having a great senior year. Yep. Saint Jack Stewart, Barnhart looks like a guy. You know what I mean? Like they have they have guys right already in the class that again, a couple of those guys. I think Stewart and Barnhart in particular could could project to the inside, but it's not. I don't think it's written in stone. You know, and mm-hmm. so uh, and then again, they're after the guys that they're still after. So I I don't know. I, I don't think it unless they decide to take a flyer on a different guy, like I'd be, I would be utterly shocked if they took both of those guys or got both of those guys. Like, I just don't see that in the cards. So, and they may just focus on 2020 after yeah. that, you know, or maybe they'll use this scholarship towards something else. You know, I'm not really sure. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's, again, the guy just transferred less than 24 hours ago. It's kind of hard <laughs> to like get the full scoop. Steve, why don't you have every single it's, ramification of this? I mean, we had, you know, we had a guy on the board after the game on Saturday. I mean, no, I'm sorry. I didn't want to say, I shouldn't even say after the game. I should say with about two minutes left in the game, posting on their board, asking if we had an update on what Juwan Bushel Beatty's injury situation was. And where it's well, like, I think sometimes I they do a, radio updates and maybe that's what he was looking for. But like, yeah, I mean, I we're not going to have that. We're not, I don't have hey. Juwan on speed dial, you know, and can't call him while he's uh, getting tended to by the trainers to get an update on what his injury status is. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, so that's always kind of comical to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, tackles or offensive line is going to be a need in every cycle, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, but as far as like this impact, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know if that means you take one 
another one this cycle or you maybe just wait and take another, you know, cause they're in some, they're in good shape with some really good players in 2020 too. That's kind mm-hmm. of the wild card there. I mean, miles Hinton is the number one tackle in the country and the crystal ball is still a hundred percent in favor or no, is it, is there somebody might be a Stanford one in there too. Hmm. No, it's a hundred percent for Michigan brother, so, brother of Chris Hinton for those who yep. don't follow yeah, the, too much. So who probably a higher ceiling prospect than Chris is. I bet Chris would probably even agree with that. I think so, that has been documented actually. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, yeah, I would assume knowing Chris that he would probably say the same thing. So, um, I'm okay. not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my personal conjecture, if I were the coaches and you have, you might have six offensive linemen in your class already, you know, and, and, and you do, you do again, it's not like they're going to lose both their tackles. I think that was initially one of the thoughts. I mean, you assuming Runyon wants to, I would, I can't imagine he wouldn't want to come back for a fifth year, oh, no, you know, <laughs> then, then you just have one position to fill and then, and then, you know, maybe you have a year to develop people. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they, if there's a desperate need for tackles uh, more than there already is. You know. So, um, anyway, one more, one more topic. We don't love this because we don't know. Uh, I don't think even Michigan knows. Uh, I don't even know if the player knows what's going to happen in the coming weeks, but. We did get a bajillion questions about Rashawn Gary, so we'll we'll discuss what we can. Um, you know, I think Harbaugh has alluded to because I, I I don't have ex- his exact quote in front of me, but he, when asked about Rashawn Gary, who did not travel to East Lansing, um, said he didn't know what was up. He said Rashawn Gary did not feel like he was healthy enough to play, so we you know saved the travel spot for someone who was, and then asked if it was a season ender. Uh, Harbaugh said he does not know. When asked if he has received indication from Rashawn Gary that it could be a season ender, he said no. I can't remember exactly what Don Brown said, but you know they're hopeful that he comes back. That's Don Brown said that they're working like crazy to get Rashawn healthy again or something like that. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and, and this is the shoulder AC joint injury that, if I'm not mistaken, ha- occurred before the season, but was one of those things that wasn't going to go away, but then it kind of increased in severity. I th- I think I have that right. So that's <laughs> to speak to, 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 to what we don't know. So... That said, a lot of our questions surrounded uh, Josh Uche and Quiddy Pay, um, which, by the way, just quick tangent: the Quiddy Pay Josh Uche Chase Winovich defensive front on third and longs. I think they've got. I think I. That's that's a recipe for success. You know, you want to talk about State was zero for twelve on third downs. I think that kind of maneuver. I think they put Pay inside. To, to have a little bit of a fast front. I think Don Brown mentioned something about it today. Yeah. Uh, I like that a lot. That's that's a good move, I think. And well, and like imagine getting Gary back. Yeah, you know, you could throw all four of them out at the same time. I think Nick Baumgartner tweeted something about that today. That ru- a rushman type package with those four guys. Yeah, you know, just have someone they... spying for the tunnel screen. But yeah, right. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah, as far as Rashawn goes, I mean, it's kind of hard to say right now. You know, I. I if I'm being honest, I thought Harbaugh's response was kind of tepid mm-hmm. um, about it. You know, uh, I I just I have to assume that he will be back at some point. Still, I know that's what we were told originally. He you know, is and, so competitive, and he cares yeah, I, so I, much. I think it's one of those things. Like, as long as he can like move his legs against Ohio State. Because he's, you know, and I, I think I think it was something that really, I think he really, really wanted to be in East Lansing with his team. We talked about how excited everyone was. I mean, even, you know, people like Donovan Peoples-Jones and, and Tyree Kinnell and, and some of these other mild-mannered players, you know, were having the time of their life. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure Rashawn Gary was like, okay, well, I got to make sure I'm healthy enough for 
Penn, maybe not Penn State, but Ohio State. I don't know. I don't know what what his thought right. was, but he's so competitive, and you you've known that since you started covering him. I mean, he's like I said, the story I always tell about him was, you know, he had about ten offers at the time when I first talked for talked to him for the first time, and I asked him which school. You know, you always kind of one of those really, really generic questions that you ask a prospect is, you know, hey, who are a few schools that haven't offered yet that you might like to hear from or would like to get an offer? And, and his response is, I want, I want all of them. <laughs> to this day, I've still never, no, I've never heard that again, actually. And uh, so, yeah, the, he's definitely got that outward competitive fire. Um, you know, I, again, I, I suspect he'll be back sooner rather than later that's based that's speculation i don't have the i don't think i don't think we'd really get much of a heads up on that one uh right now there's not really not much honestly get with penn state coming in a couple weeks there's really not much incentive for that to leak um you know what i mean like it's this yeah kind of well and, and things change and, right you, know, you don't too. know i yep. you know whether it's yeah i mean it, those kind of reportedly nagging injuries, I mean, that you know, that's stuff that can be really, really frustrating because, you know, one day it does feel better and one day it doesn't. And there's no, not always a rhyme or reason. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it's it's fair to, you know, fair to speculate too much. I just know, I mean, you see the videos of him working with kids at camps. You see the video of him doing drills. He's got that. He's got that every play, every single thing that he does, he does with this very competitive fire. A lot of guys on the team play like that. And so, yeah, I think I think if there is if he is physically able to, I think he'll he'll be he'll play. Um I agree. I, I don't know much else beyond that. So I won't talk much about that. But but you know, Uche now leads the team with five sacks. You know, it's one of those things. Sometimes, uh, I think someone pointed this out last week, it's like even though people were kind of down on Dwemfor and Uche and uh, I'm trying to think who the other like off-season, you know, trendy off-season names were, but it's like, you know, it sounds like... Marshall. Yeah, I Lawrence Marshall. Marshall. Kind of an off-season name. Yeah, and that one, I think the skepticism was a little bit more warranted because we had heard it before, but and Monet played pretty well throughout the early parts of the season, so it's, you know, I think... Uh, I think when I think you know more credence to the coaches, you know when they say talk up a player, I think they think they mean it. But yeah, Uche, uh, really such an intriguing player. I think, I mean, I'm curious what he does this year, but I'm really curious to watch him next year because I think he is someone that has that kind of you know long limbed, hyper fast kind of freak, almost like a not not Miles Garrett, but like similar kind of. Like and like like you see some of the angles he has when he takes these sacks. I mean, he's just someone that was was built for to be a superstar college defensive end. I feel like uh, we'll see we'll see how he develops. I don't know if that means that he will be, but I'm very curious to watch him. So, so yeah, they I mean they they gotta feel pretty good about their their defensive line uh, with or without Gary. I think it's you know that kind of spoke for itself on Saturday. They're not like top ten in sacks, but I think they're top twenty. So it's almost like know. Don Brown knows <laughs> what to look for in the recruiting trail. You know, he was what Josh was one of those guys that was like a, I mean, I think his ranking in the composite was like 700th or something in the country, you know, with the type of guy six months ago, if they'd taken a commitment from people would be all pissed off and yeah. whining and going <laughs> to fit about it and stuff. Uh, you know, but a guy that I think I tweeted at this week, a guy that we rightfully labeled as a, guy who's ranking you should ignore. And we did the same thing with Quiddy um, because you knew, you know, Don, the history with Don Brown is just too, too long. He's developed too many guys. You at least yeah. got to give some of these guys a shot. Um, and it's, you know, yeah, I mean, Uche just, he just looks like a stud. Like you said, I think he's a guy that's going to kind of maybe be that next star player for them on defense um but not not a shocking deal you know because yeah he was an elite an elite athlete who just kind of needed to learn how to play the game and he was a guy that we said right away was not going to be a year one guy 
wasn't, you know, wasn't going to come in right away and make an instant impact, but he didn't need to. Just like the young guys that Michigan's got right now developing don't need to, like a, like a Julius Welshoff or a, a Taylor Upshaw. I mean, those are guys they don't need contributions from those guys right now, mm-hmm. and that's why. And they're and that's why they take, you know, they they. Part of the, the deal with recruiting is that you gotta like, you 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 have to recruit based off of what your current and future roster will be, and so like last year, if you're Michigan. You know, in the 18 cycle, again, this goes back to the 18 cycle, the oh no 18 cycle that is already starting to look like a boon for them. Well, um, as much as it, you know, I mean, they've only had three or four. Yeah. But, but as we but said, they don't have a lot guys, of holes right now. Yeah. And that's what they recruit. And that's why they recruited that way. It's because they, they knew that they ha- were going to have a very, very strong roster probably for the first two years of these of these players' development. Well, and some of the recruiting misses they had, because they didn't you know, go undefeated in that class, but some of the misses all. were because it was like, okay, do I want to play behind X player for one or two years, you know, before I get to join the, join the party, I, you know, so. So they know what they're looking at, they, like, go, the, your current roster, and that's why we said for I don't know how long, you know, that I thought, I always had said that I thought the 18 cycle was going to be different. Because there weren't going to be, they wouldn't be able to tell a kid, "Hey, there's a real chance you could play right away," at least in certain instances, right? Um, and whether or not that's why they missed on some of the elite guys they were, or elite ranked guys they were after late in the cycle, I don't know if that played a role or not. But the fact was is that they they had, you know, like defensive back, which somebody asked how many of the young defensive backs have we seen right, play this right, year. Right, right. I don't know if any of them have, at least Just... as far as. That one, I think SMU is the game where they really emptied things, but I don't know if they played in the secondary. Neither the, yeah, right, neither of the Green brothers have played yet. Um, again, maybe I don't know if any of them, maybe in special teams, some of these guys played. I don't know if they did or not, but uh, you know, both, both the Green brothers, Miles Sims, Vince Gray, who we heard a lot of really great things about uh, during fall camp, uh, Sammy Faustin, like none of those guys have played yet. Mm-hmm. And that's if you're Michigan, that's okay. You know, those guys can take the time. You know, like if Sammy Faustin was a guy, not saying he's going to turn out to be a, a potential star like Uche is or was or is or whatever, but is a guy that, like, right away you knew, okay, this isn't a guy that they think is going to play immediately in year one. This is a guy they feel like in year two or three can really come in and be a big-time player, you know. So, um, so yeah, I mean, where your roster's at, the year you're recruiting a player and maybe the year after like really plays a role in like, Hey, is, is this an opportunity where we can maybe take a couple chances on some guys that we think have higher ceilings and work on them and develop them, you know? And that's where, again, with Don Brown, the track record is, is there to where, especially in the front seven, at least as it pertains to Don Brown in the front seven, like you should just, I don't know. I think we're past like, criticizing at least on the surface like if they take a three-star guy at linebacker or up front on the defensive line I I just don't really see why or how people are going to gripe about it at this point well and I think you can start to say that about the offense too you know I I think I think they're getting there tight end is a spot I think you should always feel that way yep um, well, because they're going to get their pick at tight ends right you know every tight end in the country if if Michigan calls they're going to pick up the phone Right, there's yeah. like four schools in the in the country that, you know, between Stanford, Notre Dame, Michigan, and I don't even know who else. Maybe. Uh, uh, I North thought there was there's one more that stands out, but I can't remember who USC, they are. USC actually usually recruits the tight end position pretty well. Is A and M? Did they? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, well, they are now. They they have Tim Brewster's there now. They're running Jimbo's offense, so I think you'll see a little bit of tight end usage yeah. there. I know under Sumlin. You know, Michigan or A uh, and M was was really trying hard with Mustafa Muhammad. You know, in Michigan's w- when Mustafa had already committed, A and M was still trying. You know, Michigan's response was, you know, I think A and M under Sumlin had this is just a random story, but A and M under Sumlin, I think for three years stretch, their tight ends had had a total of like three catches, <laughs> and uh, their pitch to him was, well, we really, that's, it's a position we really want to make you the centerpiece. You know, we don't really, you know, and it's like, no, 
you know, I don't think so. Like, yeah. yeah I don't, uh, how, how do I know you're going to even use me properly or whatever? Right. And you could even say that with Ohio State, who, you know, I don't know what Jeremy Ruckert's done this year, but I can tell you right now, it's not as much as what you would have expected with as talented as he is. Um, you know, last cycle yeah. was the guy that yeah. really, really, really wanted, um, you know. So. Anyway, but no, I mean, you can look and, and you see what they're doing with a couple, well, I guess Duan Bishop-Beatty was a four-star, but a couple uh, lower-rated tackle prospects. You can see, you know, we had Ronnie Bell is someone I think people are still eating their words about that about him. I know it's early in his career, but it just seems like he's someone that they're going to keep finding usage for. Grant Perry, uh, you know, Karan Higdon, three-star. Sure got, sure got <laughs> what they wanted out of him and more. And so, yeah, I think you're starting to see it, and I think... As I said, I felt like the Michigan State game was kind of a breakthrough for the program. And not necessarily like that anything's changing inside Schembecker Hall, but maybe the validation of some of the stuff that they believe in, kind of the, um, the, the realization of what they had been striving for. I think, I think this program probably needed that a little bit. I think that, you know, there, there's obviously no, no shortage of naysayers of Michigan, including including myself at times and, and stuff, but uh, I, I seems like this is a team that has answered a lot of, answered the bell in a lot of ways, you know, as far as execution at position groups, playing a certain style, finding an identity. It seems like they've answered the call. Now the question is just, can they do it for, you know, five more weeks and get to Indianapolis? Can they do it there? And then who knows from there on. So anyway... That's going to do it for our podcast today. For Steve Lorenz on the phones, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Check out our stories at themichiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Check it out because we're writers first. We podcast uh, once a week, but but we also write several times a day. So check it all out there. Hope you have fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next week.